Welcome to Thoroughly Equipped, a podcast for women where we compare the popular women's ministry teachings, books, conferences, Bible studies, etc. to scripture. Our focus is 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I am your host, Melba Toast. May this episode bless you and bring glory to God. Hello, ladies, and welcome to another episode of Thoroughly Equipped. I am so happy that you could join me today. If you are new, welcome. Last episode, we critiqued a message given by Beth McCord on using the Enneagram as a leadership slash discipleship tool that was given at the If Lead conference back in 2019. Today, I want to look deeper at the McCord's teachings on the purpose and use of the Enneagram. One of the books that I found most helpful in looking at the system or set of beliefs being taught in this tool was a book titled Enneagram Theology, Is It Christian? by Dr. Ren Cherry, adjunct professor of biblical counseling at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He is also director of finances and donor relations for the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. After reaching out to him, he was very gracious to offer to come on the podcast to talk about his book, The McCord's Teachings, and the theology behind this tool that is used by so many Christians today to become more self-aware. So, without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Ren Cherry. Um, I brought in a very, very special guest, a, a Dr. Ren Cherry, who has written the book in regards uh, to the Enneagram titled Enneagram Theology, Is It Christian? And this is so very important as we are looking at the If Gathering and specifically Beth McCord's um, presentation of the If or of the Enneagram and how it helps us to know ourselves and to understand our identity. And so I wanted to bring Dr. Ren Cherry in to talk about um, the Enneagram, where it came from, and the theology behind it. So Mr. Ren Cherry, thank you so much for coming on to Thoroughly Equipped. It's an honor to meet you and to discuss this topic. Will you tell us a little bit um, about who you are, um, your background, and of course, how you came into, um, uh, uh, how you came to know the Enneagram and, and, and study this. Sure. Well, thank you, Melissa, for having me. It, uh, I love doing things like this. And thank you for your interest in this and your ministry. And so uh, it, I'm so happy to be here myself. Uh, so I, I live in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, I work for the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. We're located here on the campus of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. It's one of the six Southern Baptist seminaries. And so I, I am the director of finances and donor relations at ACBC. And then I also teach biblical counseling here on campus um, mm -hmm. at all levels. We have a bachelor's degree program, a master's degree, and also PhD work here. So that's what I do. And I love it. Wow. You know, 
Yeah. That's so fantastic. I've been, yeah, I've been here about four years. I've been married to my wife for 29 years. I have two grown, I guess you call them kids. I have a daughter <laughs> in Indiana and a son in Houston. Uh, my daughter's married. Uh, and so, we, yeah, we we came, my wife and I came to faith in Christ late in life. So at about 40 years of age. Mm. And so several years later, after we came to faith, I left the working world to attend seminary. And we eventually went to serve overseas as a family in Russia, in Moscow. Yeah. Wow. And and so the sending agency that we went with used the Myers-Briggs personality typology during orientation. And, but we never really used it again when we went to the mission field. But what was noteworthy is that the agency spent much time, many missionary man hours, taking the test and discussing personality types. And so that, that was interesting hmm. in retrospect. Yeah. Now, when we returned from the mission field, I pastored for about five years in Texas. And my wife and I spent a significant amount of time counseling people at the church. So uh, we thought we would benefit from some formal training. So we had done informal counseling, even on the mission field. Now we're at a Southern Baptist church in Texas. Mm -hmm. So because we're a Southern Baptist church, I decided to go to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth to see what was being taught there. And this would have been around 2012, 2013. Okay. My wife and I would go on to eventually... Uh, start a master's degree there. And then I went on and did a PhD there at Southwestern in biblical counseling. Okay. So the point at which I was deciding what to write my dissertation on, I had some interest in personality typology in general. So I was asking the question now that I was studying biblical counseling and had experienced personality typology, specifically Myers-Briggs with the missions agency. I thought, okay, well, Number one is personality typology in general consistent with the Bible. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, the chair of my PhD committee suggested that I investigate the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. I was thinking Myers-Briggs, but he said, mm, I think you should think about the Enneagram. I had literally never heard of it. And so here's what's interesting. When I did begin to research it, just to see what it was, to see if I even wanted to write on it, I discovered that there was no biblical critique of this, what I saw, this wildly popular typing system among evangelical Christians. Mm. And so in in the academic world, this is weird. So what I mean by that, in in the academic world, there's always vigorous debate on both sides of many issues. Mm -hmm. But at the time, and this would have been about the fall of 2018, there were only a few blogs or articles critiquing Christian use or what I would call the Christianization of the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. So I decided to research it and write about that as my dissertation. And I became convinced that pastors and Christian leaders really didn't have the time to research this typology that's really been spiritualized and even labeled Christian or even gospel centered. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up writing a dissertation on that. And it eventually got published as the book you just mentioned, Enneagram Theology, mm-hmm. Is It Christian? So that's how I became acquainted with the Enneagram and got involved in researching it. Wow, fascinating. <laughs> um, that's that's great. Uh, and I've read 
your the entire book. I read it twice and taken copious notes, and I thought it was fantastic. I mean, your citation. I, I don't think I've read a uh, a book that size. <laughs> it's not really big. It's over yep. three hundred pages, correct? Right. Yes. Yeah, uh, but it's got like four hundred citations. <laughs> yeah, and that was kind of by design because what was what I found out I needed to do, and I'll mention this later uh, in in our in this podcast is I, I wanted to make sure people didn't think I was reading more into Enneagram theology than was there. And so that we'll see that the primary, what I call the de facto theologian of the Enneagram is a Catholic priest named Richard Rohr. Now, the concept de facto, right? Mm-hmm. The president of the United States is the de facto leader of the free world. It doesn't mean that there's a leader of the free world association that gives him this title when he becomes president. Mm-hmm. But to deny that other countries, other leaders follow the lead of the president of the United States, that's undeniable. Right. Right. And so that's why I call Rohr the de facto theologian of the Enneagram. If you read his works, not necessarily, his theology is not 100% revealed in his Enneagram books right when you start reading what he's written on universal christ universal christ is a big one and so immortal diamond those books and then you start reading his blog post on his website you start to realize who he really is and Mm -hmm. and and the foundational theology of this enneagram system yeah that's great now um just kind of branching off a little bit of that um we will get into Richard Rohr, but we're starting with the McCords, um, Beth and Jeff McCord, because um, they are the ones that are being promoted at the If Lead, or she is at the If Lead, uh, Lead 2019 conference. And uh, she is uh, huge, in my opinion, among evangelical women. And because of this, If Gathering is humongous. Um, but her website i just realized or i heard recently reached the million dollar club or her cut her business um and that's what it is it's it is a business um in which is it's your enneagram coach.com and um it's a podcast and it is is uh, the podcast itself has like over five thousand um subscribers and so i mean this is a big thing and it's big in women's ministry and it is specifically used for women in discipleship to be leaders and to know themselves and to know their disciples so could you tell us before we get into the theology and 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 richard war who's behind it a little bit about um Beth McCord, and you do include her in your mm-hmm. book, which I mm-hmm. thought was fa- great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so tell us a little bit about you, what you know about them. Sure. So I'm going to give you a bit of a, just a, not a disclaimer, but I want to make, just say a few things. So my world, so that I, that I teach in, that I live in is biblical counseling. Mm-hmm. So I want to acknowledge that every discipleship or counseling system is a philosophy and it's an attempt to employ a way of thinking about life in order to understand people and to help people. Mm -hmm. So I am not claiming at all that those who use the Enneagram have faulty motives. And that would include Jeff and Beth McCord. So I think that's the first mistake some people will make when they critique a counseling system. 
So I want to be clear that I'm not criticizing people who use the Enneagram as if they have evil motives. Mm -hmm. That's not what I'm doing here. In fact, according to Hebrews 4, 12, and 13, the role of discerning the thoughts and intentions of a person's heart belongs to the Holy Spirit and his word. And that's important. Mm -hmm. So I, I have, I myself, I have no biblical warrant to even claim that I have such authority to evaluate motivations of the heart. So according to scripture, no one or no thing or no system can mm -hmm. claim to understand why someone does what they do. So according to scripture, this discernment of the heart is 100% reserved for God himself, namely the Holy Spirit and his word. This is a foundational point, and we will most definitely come back to it later in this mm -hmm. podcast. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now most people who counsel others have a desire to help people. They want to see people change. Sometimes counselors turn to personality typologies and testing. I personally do not. So I practice and teach biblical counseling. This is a different approach from secular worldly counseling and therapy. Biblical counseling is different from what, I don't know if you're familiar with these terms, but an integrated approach or Christian psychology mm -hmm. that attempts to combine biblical truth with secular theories and methods. Right. So at first blush, that doesn't sound all that bad, like mm -hmm. embracing or quote, redeeming. You hear that word a lot, redeeming right. secular philosophies and systems to quote, help people. I mean, mm -hmm. At first blush, you would say, what's wrong with that? And I would say to that, I would respond, the aim point that is the objectives of integrated therapy and mm -hmm. biblical counseling are very different. Right. So let me explain the target. The objective of secular therapy is minimization of pain and maximization of happiness. Mm -hmm. That is the spectrum. Okay. The, so therapy aims to land clients somewhere on that subjective spectrum. So in contrast to secular therapy, biblical counseling aims to conform regenerate born again believers to the image of Christ. Christ right. So there's different targets. Mm -hmm. I, I, I explain it to students all the time. I say, do y'all, have you ever looked through the scope of a gun? Okay. Mm -hmm. The target is different for a therapeutic approach. Uh, uh, and that's what the world offers, which is minimization of pain, maximization of happiness. Let's land you somewhere on that spectrum mm -hmm. versus what we have uh, available to us in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the truth of his word, we can apply that to be conformed to the image of Christ. That is the ongoing process of sanctification, the, the putting off and putting on described in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. Yeah, thank so, you for clarifying that. Yes. Yeah, so, mm -hmm. so that, that cooperative effort between a born-again believer and the Holy Spirit of God, this conformance to the image of God is, the, is what I call the, the, the core business, shall we say, of the Bible. Mm -hmm. So you cannot be conformed to the image of Christ unless you've uh, repented and placed faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. So the, the Bible itself, the very words of Holy Scripture attest, this is a key point, and this is probably a foundational difference that I would have with the McCords and others, but uh, the Bible itself, the very words of the Holy Spirit attest that Scripture is sufficient mm -hmm. to complete the process of sanctification. We see this clearly in 2 Peter verse uh, chapter 1, verse 3, and 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, 
there are other places, but the Bible is sufficient to complete the work of conforming us to the image of our Savior. Oh, right? amen. Amen okay. to that. <laughs> All right. So now back to the McCords. Mm-hmm. I, I cannot claim to replace the Holy Spirit to make myself God and discern the intentions of their hearts in using the Enneagram. I said mm-hmm. that. And conversely, as I said, no other person, no other system can make that claim according to scripture, right? Right. However, however, I do want to be equally clear that I am critiquing the Enneagram personality typing system itself from a Christian's perspective. Mm-hmm. So you and I, Melissa, live in a culture that equates critique or evaluation with criticism. Correct. So, so any alternative view is quickly labeled as, quote, uncharitable. So I, I want to be clear. I am not the one who has spiritualized the Enneagram and labeled it as Christian or even gospel-centered. Mm-hmm. Others have done so. Mm-hmm. So here's my premise. If they have applied the Christian label, even gone so far as to say the system is gospel-centered, Mm-hmm. then a biblical critique is in order. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's do it. So the yep. fir- I've read this book a couple of times. The first time I read the McCord's book, I was researching the lineage, so to speak, uh, from Richard Rohr, who's a Catholic priest. As I said, he's the de facto theologian of the Enneagram. I was tracing lines of influence and mentorship from Rohr to various Enneagram authors like Ian Crone, mm-hmm. Suzanne Stabile, Christopher Hertz, that are popular among Christians. Okay. So the McCords are like a generation, so to speak, downstream of Brewer, at okay. least one generation. But <clears throat> the subtitle of, of the McCords book is using the Enneagram to create a thriving, there it is, gospel-centered marriage. Mm-hmm. Right. So any book, blog, sermon, podcast that has the kind of trendy label gospel-centered should attract a biblical evaluation from Christians. So in fact, I'd say that the McCords themselves on their website, your Enneagram coach forward slash origins mm-hmm. at the bottom of that article entitled, should Christians use the Enneagram? They state all believers should be diligent in their research, use wisdom and ultimately decide for themselves. Yeah. So I did that. I spent about three years doing that. And so I have in fact decided for myself. So let me get into a few observations that I have about the book. Okay. All right. So in the forward, so we're going to be in the evidently the Roman numeral system here for a little while. Okay. Melissa, on page XVII, it looks like page 17, mm-hmm. XVII, in the forward. This is written by an endorsing pastor. And the statement is made that, quote, when given the right tools to address these weaknesses in a life-giving fashion, we can become more like Jesus. So at best, mm-hmm. the author is implying that we need something more than the Bible in order to become more like the image of Christ. Correct. I've already cited 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Mm-hmm. Scripture itself makes the claim to be sufficient to pro- uh, complete the progress, the pro- I'm sorry, the process of sanctification. Mm-hmm. So still in the foreword. On page XVII, this same endorsing pastor makes it clear, he makes a position very clear that the Bible is not sufficient. And he doesn't say that explicitly. Mm-hmm. Few people will, but 
he demonstrates it. Speaking of the awareness he and his wife have of the balance in their marital relationship, the author of the forward writes, and I quote, without the Enneagram and without books like Becoming Us, I suspect that our awareness of this fact, that our growth and wholeness in Christ depends on our stewardship of our differences would be much less than it is. So this speaks directly mm-hmm. against sufficiency of scripture mm-hmm. yeah. to conform us to the image of Christ. Keep going. N- next kind of, uh, it's not a chapter, but it's a, it's a, I guess it's a chapter called How to Use This Book. The stated purpose of the Enneagram is, quote, to awaken self-awareness and to provide hope as we look at ourselves and each other. Now, I think this is a very telling statement that presents a false, I'll call it a solution, of self-awareness. So you start to see this common theme. Mm-hmm. The authors are telling readers to look to the Enneagram as a source of hope as we look at ourselves and others. Mm-hmm. And so I read that and I say, man, uh, Scripture clearly refutes this. Yeah. So, uh, for example, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 encourages believers to what? To look to Jesus, Mm -hmm. the founder and perfecter of our faith. Right. Uh, And then in the author's introduction, the McCords cite two things on page XXII23 that, quote, transformed our relationship with ourselves and with each other. Mm. This is what they say. The truth of the gospel and the Enneagram, an insightful tool brought astonishing clarity to our heart's motivations. Mm -hmm. But now you start to see, and this will be a theme throughout this book, you start Mm -hmm. to see the Enneagram esteemed alongside Scripture. It wouldn't go so far as to to explicitly state it's above Scripture, but it's certainly presented as being equal to, equal to, Mm -hmm. on par. Now, though, you have to look in these, uh, the Enneagram author's, works like Crohn's to build, they'll give an obligatory nod to scripture mm-hmm. every now and then. I'd right. say the McCords do it more than others. All right. So uh, going on over to page XXV, the author state, the Enneagram became a tool for our growth and sanctification in Christ. That though uh-huh. it's a, it's a, though it's a great tool by itself, it's an exponentially more powerful tool in the hands of God, mm-hmm. shaping us than it is in our hands alone. So now these authors have, um, they have God himself with the Enneagram in his hands to help himself mm-hmm. evidently sanctify us. So there's a picture of God with the Enneagram in his hand, so to speak, <laughs> shaping us uh, to do it. things. Yeah, yeah, evidently to do things that he can't do on his own. Yeah, if you know the background, it, it makes me giggle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I, I say you can't make this stuff up. That's why yeah. you got to quote it. So uh, this is in direct conflict with what Jesus says, his exact words in John 17, 17, mm-hmm. in the I high priestly prayer. He says, right. He says, the Savior says, speaking, he's praying for us at the time, which is amazing. By the way, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word mm-hmm. is truth. Mm-hmm. So he says, use your word to sanctify them. Correct. So Jesus remembers, I would say to us, remember that he himself is God. He cites nothing other than the word for sanctifying us. Mm-hmm. Right. So a foundational premise found in the front matter of this book is that the Bible is not sufficient to complete the sanctifying work 
of sanctification in a believer's life. Yes. And um, I know you probably didn't get a chance because I haven't released it yet, but um, you, right before I talk to you, I, I release a, the, a, a critique, a biblical critique of McCord's presentation. And yes, she makes those claims very clearly that the Enneagram is used to help sanctify um, in implication that the scripture is not sufficient enough in that. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And so I'm going to give you an example. Now, uh, a statement that's com that's repeated a few times in the book is, quote, the Enneagram is an insightful tool, but the gospel is the transformation. So <clears throat> this leads to the McCord's sharing what they believe to be true theologically. So this is mm -hmm. found on page XXV. So still, before we get to the main chapters, um, Roman numeral 25. So after agreeing with the Gospel Coalition on the Bible, uh, they, and they're just quoting straight off the Gospel Coalition's website, okay. the McCords move on to what appears to be their summary of the gospel. Mm. And they state that, quote, we believe when we place our faith in the person of Christ, of Jesus Christ, three life-changing things happen. And then they cite these three things as being declared righteous, being adopted, being made new. Mm -hmm. And those things are certainly true, but I'm, I'm going to submit that man's journey to Christ involves an eye-opening understanding of God's holiness mm -hmm. and man's sinfulness. So there's no need for a savior without man's really terrifying realization of our own depraved nature. Yes. There's no need for a savior. Mm -hmm. And so the, the biblical gospel is the good news of man's heart of stone being replaced with the heart of flesh. We see that Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. And man's right response to the good news of the gospel is what? It's repentance, repentance. Mm -hmm. and saving faith in Christ alone. Yes. Can I interject here just an observation? I'm so glad you brought that up because I uh, watched several of their videos on their um, YouTube channel, and I was looking specifically for a gospel presentation. And I thought it was very interesting, even reading um, some of the other book, and I can't think of the title right now. Um, they, they, they don't specify the gospel. It's basically, it's a gospel message, lowercase g, that is um, directed towards each type. So let's say you're a number one and, you know, they talk about the lo core longings and your core longing is uh, your problem is that you want to be told that you're good. And the gospel presented to you is that you are um, righteous in Christ. Now, these are things I would say to a Christian woman who has repented and put her faith and trust in Christ, but there's no talk of um, the, the, um, just the wrath of God against a sinful nature and what our sinful nature really entails um, and its offense to a holy God and the repenting of it. So there's no talk of repenting as in kind of a, a, a sorrowful change. Mm -hmm. It's more of a just change of mind of who you are in Christ without repentance. Mm -hmm. So I, I find it very interesting that you point that out. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's consistent with what I found so much so. So, so we, we do see in the Bible that John the Baptist preached repentance. We see Jesus himself 
What does he preach? Repent and believe. We see Peter on the day of Pentecost preaching repentance and belief on the Lord Jesus. So scripture is clear. Man's right response to the gospel Mm -hmm. is repentance and faith in Christ. Now, you know how many times the word repent or repentance is used in the McCord's book? Do you venture to guess? Uh, yeah, three nothing. times. Three, I, three, oh, three, three times. Yeah, I'm so impressed here, by that. <laughs> yeah, the first use of the word repent is on page 55, about a quarter of the way through, where the McCords are discussing their idea of what they call gospel alignment. Uh, and so, in a, in a paragraph that's a really about quote receiving Christ as our Lord and Savior. Again, there's no repentance in the process of receiving Christ. They state, therefore. We can look at where we really are at any given moment, rejoice at his work in our life, and repent if needed. This is a quote. And all the rest, all the while, resting fully in who we are in him. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the role mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit in convicting us of sin is noticeably absent. Uh-huh. So yeah. I'm setting that up. That's a major, major theme or something that really sticks out in this book is the role of the Holy Spirit in convicting people of sin and leading them Mm -hmm. to repentance. I'm going to go, so when I'm teaching, again, I I teach biblical counseling. So I'm going to teach that that's a ministry of the church, that it needs to be done between regenerate believers. The counselor needs to be regenerate. The person receiving the truth of the word needs to be regenerate. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you can't receive the truth of of right. God's word and apply it to your own life. Right. So I always want to make the connection between Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, when the Lord says, I'm going to replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh mm-hmm. and put my spirit in you. Right. And you see in second Peter uh, chapter one, verses 20 and 21, where he says, no man just wrote this stuff down. They were carried along by the Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. So we see that the Holy spirit is the author of scripture. Right. That same spirit is put in a believer at regeneration. That's why, Melissa, when you were born again, and I was, whether I heard the word preached or read it, Mm -hmm. that's why that spirit in me that's been put in me by God himself testifies to the truth of that word. Now I can apply it in obedience to to be convicted of sin and repent. Right. And um, one of the things, the other things I noticed is they don't really talk about sin. They do describe it as, well, in the book that I read, fallenness, uh, but mm-hmm. they return it to be, you have like these two parts, um, a wounded child and an adopted child. And your mm-hmm. problem is that because of your fallen nature, uh, because of sin, you cannot, you're walking through this fog and you cannot see that you are a wounded child and you need to correct yourself with the adopted child. So I also see there's a difference in what sin is. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. okay. okay. So, so to that, that very point, the second use of repent is in, it's on page 63 where readers are encouraged to quote, own your mistake, repent and ask the Lord to restore you back on the path that is best for you. Mm. So mistakes are not called sin mm-hmm. right. and we need to get put onto the path that is best for us. And that's a quote right. from the book. And that sounds to me like it's because the sin keeps you from being your best person. And that's the goal of Enneagram is becoming the person you always wanted to be. It's clearly stated in their video. Yeah. That makes sense. And so, so, and then the third use actually of repent or repentance 
is an actual quote of Romans 2.4, found on page 120 in the context of approaching our spouse with a heart full of the Spirit of God. So it's an actual, the, the word repent is, uh, is from Rome, a quote of Romans 2.4. Okay. So what you, what you start to see in this book, uh, which again has the subtitle with the term gospel-centered, what you see is a, quote, gospel without the concept of repentance. So I would challenge readers of this book to compare the gospel presented in Becoming Us, which is functionally absent of the concept of repentance. Mm -hmm. I'd say compare that with the biblical gospel of repent and believe. Yeah. Okay. So let me just pause at this point and summarize kind of the first of my two major concerns with the book. And it is this. The book advocates a version of a gospel that's incomplete because it does not include repentance of a life of sin and saving faith in Christ alone. Mm -hmm. So those two things, repentance and saving faith, must accompany each other in the true biblical gospel. Mm -hmm. So the apparent starting point of the gospel in this book is place your faith in the person of Jesus Christ and rest in who you are in him. So Mm -hmm. that differently repentance is an unmistakable component of the biblical gospel, but it is not an unmistakable component of the gospel presented in this, interestingly, mm-hmm. self-labeled gospel-centered system. Right. So that's concerning at best, and I would say it's misleading to readers at worst. Yeah. Do you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So I have other concerns with the book, but the second of my, I guess, two biggest concerns is this. Without explicitly saying so, this book presents the Enneagram as the guide, the GPS, the illuminating agent, the discerner of our heart's intent. That's what it presents the Enneagram as. Now, why did I belabor this point earlier about the role of the Holy Spirit in in Hebrews 4, 12, and 13? Mm -hmm. So in the life of a born-again believer, Someone who is truly indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God at regeneration. It is the Holy Spirit alone who causes us to walk in obedience to the words of Scripture that are written by the Holy Spirit Himself. So please, listeners, do not miss this. The work of the Holy Spirit will always, always be connected to and based on the words of Scripture. And that's because the Holy Spirit is the divine author of scripture. Correct, right. So anytime you see a system or a person that claims to fill the role of the Holy Spirit, you should be on high alert. Mm-hmm. And that happens in this book. Yeah. So there are there are parts of this book, particularly chapters three and four, where you can almost take the word Enneagram out and plug the word Holy Spirit in. They mm-hmm. are... They are displacing, to a large degree, the role of the Holy Spirit yeah. and the connection to Scripture. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Melissa. So that those are some of my thoughts on the book itself. Now, what I also did is I listened to what would be their podcast number sixty-four. So mm-hmm. this is the first of the three-part series that they did on the Christian use of the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, it seems that the focus is on Christians who dismiss the Enneagram based on its questionable 
origins. And that is not at all my premise. That is a whole entire sidebar discussion. Right. Uh, but so that's not my premise or my reasoning for rejecting the use of the Enneagram by Christians. Uh, I want to be clear on that. The McCords are the ones, like I said, who have chosen to label their use of the Enneagram as gospel-centered. And so this should involve a scriptural evaluation of the Enneagram's underlying theology, anthropology, homardiology, and soteriology. So you say, okay, what are all those ologies? Well, I train students to do this as well. Whenever you encounter anything, whether it's, if I showed up at your church and preached on Sunday, okay, what am I saying? What is this, what is this man saying? What is this system saying? What is this blog saying about God, Mm -hmm. about man, about sin and salvation? So, Again, the McCords are the ones that applied the gospel center label. So in the first of the three-part series on what they call thinking theologically about the Enneagram, they use one of the most common biblical proof texts for embracing and adopting mm-hmm. or, quote, redeeming worldly philosophies and methodologies. Yes. Acts 17, right? Yeah. Uh, Paul before the Areopagus. It's either, trust me, it'll either be Acts 17 or they'll or they'll play the, uh, plundering the Egyptians, quote, you know, yeah, which, yeah. which they didn't. But so, so it's the story of Paul. He's in front of the area of Pegasus quoting pagan poetry. And it's become the basis for a, many, many, many ministries building, quote, like contextualized, I'm sorry, contextualized ministries. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. If you read the text, Paul is simply making a point that the Greeks are misrepresenting the one true creator God mm-hmm. who, cannot, who cannot be represented by something made by created hands. Right. Notice, notice that after Paul's second quote of pagan poetry, how quickly he connects the concept of being God's offspring to a very clear call to all men to do to what? Re- Repent. To repent. Mm-hmm. Right. One verse, one verse stands in between Paul's quote of his second quote of Pogan, not Pogan, pagan poetry and a call to repentance. So mm-hmm. my point is this, Paul models a very direct, unashamed call for all men, including the arrogant philosophers in Athens, mm-hmm. who, labeled, who even labeled Paul a babbler, and they mocked him. Mm-hmm. It's a very clear modeling of an unashamed call for all men to repent. So those those very men who mocked him, he called them to repent. And guess what? Some did, in fact, become Christ followers mm-hmm. that very day. We see that right. in chapter 17, the last verse. Okay, so um, that, that stood out about that podcast. I think it's interesting that going back to how impacted particularly Ms. McCord was by reading Rohr's mm-hmm. book. I think it's interesting they didn't have R- Richard Rohr on the show when they wanted to talk about Christian use or the theology of the Enneagram mm-hmm. because that's the underlying th- theology. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that in a minute. But, yeah. but as far as the origins thing goes, and I don't really, I did not spend time on that. I, I, I do know where my research showed the Enneagram actually came from. Mm-hmm. But if you're listening and anyone out there is a 
I don't know if there is such a thing as a mathematical historian, mm -hmm. or if you know someone that runs in those circles, I think there's a story to be told for considering the history of base 10 decimal fractions, which by my reading didn't come into existence or practice until around the 1500s. Okay. So that's not so ancient. It's not so appealing for those looking for quote, ancient Christian roots of the Enneagram. So basically the Enneagram is a circle with an mm -hmm. equilateral triangle. And then it, it has the, the number sequence that goes, it, it's called a repetend. Is okay. the name for it. So, so anytime you take a number and divide it by another number and it gives you an infinite sequence that repeats itself, mm -hmm. well, it gives you a sequence, in this case, seven numbers repeat uh, over, over and over and, and over, over for, okay. for infinity. That's what happens anytime you divide a number by seven. Okay. And so um, to be able to do what you need to do to draw that diagram, I'm mm -hmm. not so sure that... <clears throat> You didn't need decimal fractions. So I, I think it would be interesting study or maybe somebody could write a dissertation on that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, so because... all that said, I, I don't know that it's <clears throat> so very ancient. And so, yeah, because that's, that's how they, they, uh, who was it? Uh, the Gurchiff, mm -hmm. right. Is the one yeah. who did some kind of numerology or yeah. division. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I can, I can tell you what my research found uh, if you'd like to talk about that now. So, yeah. So let um, you described the Enneagram. And so now, yeah, I think that's great to get into the little bit of the, the history behind it. That'd be a okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, back in the, so my, my understanding of it is that <clears throat> uh, back in the early 1900s, a, a mystic named Gurdjieff, uh, this is where it would be, where it comes from. So uh, a, a mystic named Gurdjieff in the early 1900s, he brought the symbol to mm -hmm. the Western world. Because I want to make a distinction between the symbol and the system. Mm -hmm. they, they are different. Right. And so he was a mystic. So mystics claim two main things. If, so first, a mystic would make claim to have an attained, to, uh, to have attained a, a level of uh, divine insight or understanding that transcends ordinary human knowledge. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> mystics are, they transcend you and I, mm -hmm. unfortunately, Melissa. So they, they have more intimate knowledge of uh, God than, mm -hmm. than, than humans, uh, ordinary humans do. Right. So mm -hmm. second, a mystic would lay claim to communicate directly with the divine or right. God and mm -hmm. eventually become one with God. Yeah. And so Gurdjieff was a mystic who supposedly learned of the Enneagram while in the Middle East. But it's very interesting, as you alluded to, interesting that Gurdjieff did not apply the Enneagram to personality. Mm -hmm. So he, he taught the Enneagram in secret and maintained that it gave him and his students an understanding of all things. So uh, anything that comes from a quote mystic should alert and alarm us. Yes. And, and I would even say to listeners, be aware of a growing interest and endorsement of mystics in Christianity. Uh -huh. So I had, I had an, a discussion after a church service in a church with a doctoral seminary student who became frustrated with me personally because I rejected the quote wisdom of the mystics. And these mm. are this person's possibly going to be a 
future professor? Oh, I think it's very interesting or providential that you mentioned this because the next after this, we're going to go into um, one of if equips a study, which is called enjoying Jesus, and they promote Christian so-called Christian mystics, um, and uh, especially in regards to spiritual disciplines. And now well, I have nothing against, oh, of course, I have nothing against praying and reading your Bible, but they add to that silence, um, contemplation, mm-hmm. things yep. like this. So yep. yes, it's very providential that you <laughs> you bring that up. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So then after Gurdjieff brings the symbol to the Western world, we see Claudia Naranjo and Oscar Chazo. They are working together on what would what would be called, I believe, the prototypes. Uh, but they couldn't agree on the term. So Claudia Naranjo, who was a Fulbright scholar, I believe, at Berkeley, mm-hmm. uh, he brought he he named and re- actually wrote a book called uh, Pro, uh, Eneotypes. Okay. And so what they did is they basically took different neurotic labels and overlaid them onto this symbol mm-hmm. in fact i think if you read the history of it they only had seven to start with and they had to come up with two more because you gotta you gotta have nine, yeah, nine. <laughs> and so they they overlaid those onto the symbol itself now naranjo was trained by fritz pearls in gestalt psychiatry and that's significant because mm-hmm. gestalt psychiatry puts a premium on self-awareness and mm-hmm. other awareness in solving problems and you see that and really, clearly in mccord's yes yes you do okay so then we see a progression from naranjo uh, teaching the eneotypes in berkeley california to jesuit priests and this would have been happening back in the 70s mm-hmm. possibly 60s mm-hmm. although they were sworn to secrecy that pact really didn't hold up <laughs> and you know the jesuits began teaching the Enneagram at their own spiritual retreats. Mm-hmm. And then eventually Richard Rohr, himself a Catholic priest, eventually taught and wrote on the Enneagram. Right. And his first book was published in the late 80s. And eventually he would mentor Suzanne Stabile, mm-hmm. who co-authored The Road Back to You with Ian Crone. Mm-hmm. And, and that book's published by InterVarsity Press. Right. And also he was very close with Christopher Hertz, Hertz, Mm -hmm. who wrote The Sacred Enneagram that's published by Zondervan. So both of these publishers have massive marketing and distribution footprints in the evangelical world. So when you say, how did this end up in the church? Well, people started reading those books and Ian Crone and Suzanne Stabile's book, wildly popular, uh, Suzanne Stabile ended up following that up with the solo work and Christopher Hertz at one point when I was actually writing my dissertation, he had the number, the top four books. So he had the road, I'm sorry, uh, the sacred Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Then he had a follow-up book, both of them with workbooks. Mm-hmm. At one point, those were like the top four books on Amazon for like Christian spirituality or something like that. Yeah. And uh, if I think another telling fact is that Zondervan was going to make a foray into film back in the fall of 2020, Mm -hmm. they were going to release a film entitled Nine. It was going to be a documentary on the Enneagram. I remember hearing Are you familiar with this? I remember hearing that it got stopped. Okay, yeah. And so, yeah. And so in May, around May of 2020, 
30 some people that used to work with Christopher Hertz, I believe overseas in a like sex trafficking rescue mission type of organization mm -hmm. uh, came out against him and said that he had abused them somehow. Oh yeah. And so it was amazing to watch mm -hmm. how quickly Zondervan shelved the project, distanced themselves from his newest work. I mm -hmm. believe Brene Brown pulled her endorsement of his, his latest work at that okay. point. But, uh, and, and I think even Roar stepped down off the board of Christopher Hertz nonprofit. But, but oh, all that to say, okay. mm -hmm. um, all that to say, think about how significant that was that Zondervan, when they chose to make a foray into film, they chose out of all the authors that they have in their stable, so to speak, they chose Christopher Hertz. Mm -hmm. And then the, the subject, of course, was the Enneagram. That's, right. that's very telling. Yeah. And I would, I would say that InterVarsity Press, as I understand it, is an actual Enneagram culture. And so they, they, they have brought Suzanne Stabile in to train their staff oh, on wow. using the Enneagram. Oh, so wow. they're, very, they're very committed to the system. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so oh, I just how. I just want to interject on that too. Ian Crone um, is involved in Young Life, or was involved. And I don't know if he still is. So I'm I'm sure uh, Young Life, and I've heard it th through leadership in Young Life that Enneagram is is used there as well for the leadership. Oh yeah, like so the he has massive influence. Ian Crone does mm -hmm. uh, with Andy Stanley and also Carrie Newhall. Right. So they're they're men that many church planters, church leaders look to for their direction. And they're, they're basically Enneagram evangelists. So they're very vocal in their endorsement of that. So much so you almost feel like it would be impossible to, to <laughs> launch a church plant or a leadership team without it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but so that, that's how it made its way into the church. And so I think, that, as I said, when we say, what is the Enneagram, you know, what's the, it's, it's been called a tool. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what's the, uh, the appeal of this tool? Well, mm -hmm. here's what I found out. And I think these are some appealing points of this system. First of all, you can be who you want to be. And this is part of the genius of the Enneagram system. So mm -hmm. you, Melissa, are the expert on who you are. So I, th I think it's, yeah. for lack of a better word, it's brilliant. So you, even the McCords encourage you to take your time until you find a type or number that, quote, resonates with you. <laughs> so so it, it, it resonates with guess who? You. So, yeah. Melissa, you can be who you want to be, and so can I. And I would say what goes with that is who's to judge us? Yeah. Like, we took the test. Evidently, we know us best. So... Another appeal of this system is that it's been spiritualized and it claims to explain the why of what we do. Now, mm -hmm. again, I'm going to go back to one of my early points about who can explain the why of what we do, the Holy Spirit using the word that he wrote. Right. So that, that word sword, that Greek word makaira is used at close range to make determinations about our heart that only the Holy Spirit himself can do. Mm -hmm. So this Enneagram system, it claims to show us the deeper things about ourselves that evidently the Holy Spirit and his scriptures cannot. Uh, so that, that's, that's like appealing to deeper right. things. 
right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, this system also carries with it the hope that your relationships with others, in this case of them cords, but your spouse will get better. And so at surface, like who doesn't want that? Right, right. But, I, but I, I've got to go back to the biblical objective of conforming believers to the image of the Savior, Jesus. That is the focus point, the objective of biblical sanctification. So, I mean, in passing, listen, if you can come up with a, a product that appeals to either make some money quickly, get rich quick, right? Mm-hmm. Or lose weight quickly, right? Or mm-hmm. make your marriage better quickly. That appeals yeah. to the masses. Oh, yeah. Right? But, but then if you can spiritualize it mm. and, and Christianize it, let's be honest, like Christians are like fiercely loyal. I mean, we're some Chick-fil-A eating, Hobby <laughs> Lobby shopping people, yes. right? Yes, so we are. If, if you can Christianize it, you've got a, you've got a very loyal customer base. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, okay, so with all that said, is the Enneagram biblical? Like this question comes up. My short answer to that is no. And, and that is my premise for the Enneagram, not just being a neutral quote tool. Mm-hmm. It, it is anti-biblical and, and it must be considered anti-Christian because the Bible is the highest source of authority for a Christian. And right. the, the, the core doctrines of the Enneagram are in contrast to what we find in scripture. So let me, let me qualify this statement. Mm-hmm. Okay, because a strong statement. The theologian of the Enneagram, uh, I've said, as it's known in the evangelical world, is Catholic priest Richard Rohr. Right. He personally mentored Suzanne Stabile, Christopher Hertz, Ian Crone, who are the Enneagram authors I mentioned who are popular among Christians. They're like the first generation downstream of Richard Rohr. Right. So, in fact, on page 29 of Becoming Us, Mrs. McCord describes her first encounter with the Enneagram. So while at seminary, some friends brought over Richard Rohr's book entitled The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective. Yep. Her, and this, this story in itself to me is like a microcosm of how the Enneagram plays out in the evangelical community. She mm. says her husband, Jeff, skimmed through the book. Right. In Ms. McCord's own words, she quote, devoured it. Mm-hmm. So she very openly on page 29 of her book sings the praises of Richard Rohr's book on that same page of their book. She makes some statements that are worth noting. I quote, I dove in to Richard Rohr's book because it offered something I was desperately seeking from the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Clarity for my internal word. I'm sorry, internal world. World. Mm-hmm. End quote. So then she said something that's quite revealing. And I quote, but I finally, I finally had a book in my hand that (laughs) cleared away the fog, illuminated my internal world and brought a sense of understanding to what was going on inside me. It it revealed to me what I could never have understood about myself on my own. (sighs) So no mention there of scripture. Yeah. So again, this is a fundamental difference between a view that the Holy Spirit and his word are sufficient to change us into the image of our Savior. And Mm -hmm. it's clear that the McCords endorse a Bible plus Enneagram approach.
approach mm-hmm. to change. Yeah. So <clears throat> now when I evaluate sermons, blogs, books, podcasts, etc., that claim to be Christian through the lens of scripture, that's what I use. And I, I want to say that I was even listening to, I believe it was Ms. McCord, who was talking or had written something about scripture as a filter and a lens. It's mm. a lens. It's mm-hmm. not a filter. Yeah. Okay. And so it's a lens. It's not a filter. There is a difference. In fact, I teach students here at seminary to evaluate everything through the lens of scripture and at a minimum, just a bare minimum grid that involves, I said it before, what does this system say about God, man, sin, and salvation? Mm -hmm. So the short answer to each of these areas of the Enneagram, again, I'm going to base this on Richard Rohr's doctrine, which we, you can go to page 29 of the McCord's book, and you're going to see how impacted at least Ms. McCord was at the time by Richard Rohr's book. So I think it's appropriate to look at Rohr's theology, Mm -hmm. the doctrine of God. That is the theology proper that we find in Rohr is panentheism. Mm -hmm. And so Rohr maintains that God indwelled all things at creation, but God also transcends all things. So God's indwelling of all things, including man, happened at the event Rohr calls the, the quote, first incarnation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, again, you're talking about my book. It's got all these footnotes. That's why I'm quoting Rohr right. directly to say, this is not what I think he's saying. This is what he said. Right. Okay? But the Bible is clear that God is separate from creation. He's the creator. He is holy and distinct and above transcends all of creation. Mm-hmm. That is clear. Right. There's zero biblical support for any concept that God indwells his creation, that creation. Mm -hmm. Okay, Okay. so secondly, the doctrine of man, that is anthropology. Uh, uh, Rohr's anthropology is that man is by nature good. Okay, the first, follow me, the first incarnation that Rohr maintains happened at creation Mm -hmm. provides the event required for God to indwell all things. And man is therefore divine in nature since that first incarnation. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not making this up. Mm-hmm. These claims are all quoted directly from Roar. They're footnoted in my book. So we see in scripture, rather, that man is depraved and in desperate need of a savior. I woke up this morning as desperate for a savior to walk in obedience today as I was on the day I realized I was lost and repented. Amen. Faith in Christ. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we need a savior. Okay. Uh, thirdly, Rohr's doctrine of sin, or this is called hamartiology, mm-hmm. says that man's problem is that he does not realize that he is good in nature. Uh, I'm sorry, good by nature. So right. he doesn't realize that he has been divine since the first incarnation. So this is where you start to see the Enneagram vocabulary to use it, which is actually Thomas Merton language from like the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. of the false self is standing between us and our good, true self, Right. man doesn't know who he really is, right? This good divine self has always existed. Yeah. You just don't, you're not aware of it. Yeah. And and so, it, mm-hmm. I was just going to say the McCords promote this by, uh, they use different terminology. They say that you are a wounded child and uh, which is your sin nature, or you're not able to see your true self, which is the adopted child. 
Yeah, so there's right. a replacement <laughs> of words there. Yeah. So what we see in the Bible is God calling man, all men to acknowledge their sinful nature, repent, and place faith in Christ alone. And then we see, okay, lastly, the Enneagram doctrine of salvation, and this is called soteriology, is that the solution to man's problem is self-awareness. So if man becomes aware of his good, true self that has existed since the first incarnation, mm -hmm. he will, quote, uh, I said, he will be saved, quote, from a living, uh, living a life that's enslaved to his false Ego self. Ego or false self, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so the Enneagram is, according to Enneagram evangelist, is the perfect tool to help man understand and embrace his good, true self. True self. But we see, guess what? The Bible shows us that the Holy Spirit and his word are God's ordained means for leading man to repentance and faith mm -hmm. in Christ alone, mm -hmm. as well as, I might add, how to live a life of obedience to God's revealed word. We see that Second Peter um, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Yep. Okay, so I want to make clear that I'm not reading more into Roar's doctrines. Uh, before, in fact, before I published my dissertation, and book before I defended my dissertation, which will become a book, I mm. requested a face-to-face -face meeting with Richard Rohr in Albuquerque so that he and I, he could confirm that I was not misrepresenting these doctrines properly, no. that, I, that I was representing them properly. And mm. he declined, his um, decline is actually a, a footnote in my book, but an evaluation of his doctrines of God, man, sin, and salvation demonstrate, I think clearly, that the Enneagram's core doctrines, as documented by his writings, right. are not biblical. Right. And so, again, I, I just want to point listeners back to Rohr is the author of the book that changed the McCord's marriage and life, yep. according to their own words. So yep. they cannot conveniently divorce themselves from Rohr. Right. And you've pointed it out several times just in a, the last hour that uh, you see this language uh, being practiced in their book is that there's, you know, there's a better version of Wren or Melissa out mm -hmm. there. You just need to uncover it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, that's kind of what my theological study of the Enneagram and it's, and it's all, you know, it's origins brought me to. So. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's great stuff. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much. Yeah. Um, can, can you give me just a little bit, um, as we're closing up here in the last, uh, last 15 minutes, I guess, um, talk about what might be some dangers in using this as a leadership tool in, in women's ministry, um, or just in ministry in general, mm -hmm. um, wh why it might be a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, well, I think, first of all, I think more generally, even not just for Christian leadership, but Christians in general, it shifts the focus uh, to self away from God. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, people who would use it, I, I was just thinking about this the other day, how just, just imagine a group of women who have read, let's say, the McCord's book or read an Enneagram book, mm -hmm. and they've taken the test. And, you know, they're all about, oh, it's really about understanding others, right? Because mm -hmm. I want to understand others so I can improve my communication. Mm -hmm. and you're going around the room. Let's say you're in that room, Melissa. You're all bought in to the Enneagram thing. And, and, and you're saying, oh, it's all about other people. 
It's really all about understanding other people. Mm-hmm. And they go all the way around the room, say, I'm a number you know, two, eight, six, whatever. And then they, they pull up one short of Melissa. Melissa doesn't get to share who she is. Okay. I wonder how that would go over. Like yeah. if you didn't, it's all about other people, but it's really about me. Right. It's really right. what I think, who I think I am according to these, to these tests or evaluations. Oh, and how you should treat me too. Yeah, right. And so I see, so this, this focus away from God and onto self, I think is dangerous. What goes with that is the false gospel of self-awareness as opposed to repentance and faith in Christ. So Mm -hmm. if my, if my sin problem is characterized as uh, not being self-aware enough, then I've mischaracterized the problem. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, in, in my book, I'll point out how far Richard Rohr goes downstream of speaking specifically against the concept of original sin. Like he is emphatic right. about that. He calls right. out the likes of um, Calvin, Luther, right. and Edwards. Yep. He was literally saying, How dare Jonathan Edwards preach a sermon of the likes of sinners in the hands of an angry God? Yeah. So, yeah. He's, he's blatantly attacking the concept of original sin. Back to your question, though, about uh, using it as a leadership tool. I would say if the women at the, is it called if lead? It's, yeah, an if lead conference, okay. yes. Conference. And so if the women at the if lead conference are Christians, they have all they need in the Holy Spirit residing in them mm-hmm. and the word of God in the scriptures to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so if the Lord has called them Mm-hmm. to lead other women. He's provided a guide several places in scripture. I would point women to, I think one of the most clearly stated descriptions of female leadership is Titus 2. Titus 2 <laughs> verses 3 through 5. Yep. <laughs> I'll, I'll read it. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands Mm -hmm. that the word of God may not be reviled. And I just want to point out that those things that are described in those three verses, they're not really popular in the world. They're not not popular in the world at large, but they're not popular in the church these days. And And it's not taught in the Enneagram really. Yeah. (laughs) Not much. (laughs) Yeah. And so I did listen to Ms. McCord's if lead presentation she very much promoted a concept that would appear to, it appeared to be before a crowd of professed Christian women, mm-hmm. but she's saying, who's the leader that's misleading you, yourself? Yeah. So I would say to that, okay, wait a minute. If you're a born again believer, you have, according leader. to scripture, the Holy Spirit indwelling you to lead you. Uh-huh. Over and over we see the Holy Spirit called the counselor, the helper, mm-hmm. our leader. Uh, and so God has given us that as a gift. And what we're saying, you know, at times to God, when we want to choose something over his word is your words boring. Not it's, it's, yep. it's not enough for me. Yeah. That's supplying what I need is right. basically what she said. <laughs> yeah. So, so in short, I expect the world to use the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. I, I expect that they don't have the, de- the desire to, you know, read scripture and understand it and apply it. They don't have the ability to do that. Right. And so I would expect that from the world, but what we see 
is people bringing these secular methodologies. The Enneagram happens to be, you know, the rave right now, mm -hmm. but bringing it into the church as if we need this to make our teams more effective. Actually, you know, it's interesting concept as if we're going to be judged necessarily about the quote effectiveness of, I don't know how we manage a team as yeah. opposed to, are we holding each other accountable to our confession of faith yeah. daily? And, that's and service. Yeah, yes, service. that's right. right. Yeah. 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 And I think that's uh, becoming more and more um, popular among women's ministry is just this talk of leadership and not service. Um, mm -hmm. They guise it under servant leadership, but you know, that's, it's it, totally Titus two is missing from um, if gathering completely. Yeah. So I think that's um, just, yeah, a sad thing. I thank you so much, Mr. Yeah. Sherry. That's um, been great. It has. I, you, I think and hope that it's very clear that just, we don't need it. We mm -hmm. really don't need it. And the church doesn't need to promote it. They need to be promoting scripture mm -hmm. um, and holding to it. Um, is there any other like uh, suggestions and resources that we can go to as we study this besides your book that you sure. would suggest women do? Yeah. So um, I think what started when we, I came out of my dissertation in, in 2020, so early 21, Dale Johnson, the executive director of ACBC, who I work for, he wanted mm -hmm. to do what we thought was just going to be a single podcast on the Enneagram. We had a, we had counselors that are certified by our organization asking us, where do you guys come down on this Enneagram? Because it's out there. Mm -hmm. We were just saying, just hold on. We're going to speak to it. And so I think it was early April of 21. I think it was Truth and Love podcast yeah. number 305. I listened we, to all of them. <laughs> yeah. And so we did. And I backed up a little bit into personality typing systems and a brief history, which another thing that's super interesting about personality typologies is they're generational. And like there will be a generation of men and women who will go to their grave, like thinking the Enneagram is the best thing ever. Uh, you know, it used to be right. phrenology 150 years yeah. ago. Walt, Walt Whitman went to his grave thinking phrenology was real. It was the cutting edge <laughs> science of the day. We, yeah. we backed up and spoke to personality typologies, but that's a three-part series where we'll eventually slow it down and talk through Christian use of the Enneagram. I also did a, 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 I was able to be part of a conference that streamed this past May on American gospel. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a, I think I distill a lot down in an hour there. That's, that's ho uh, helpful. Marcia Montenegro and Don Vino's book came out while I was writing my dissertation. Right. I've become friends with both them. They're great. But up until that point, there was really not much to uh, read or right. there was some, like I said, some blog posts, a few articles here and there. Uh, we've also put out a very short little booklet, like a 30 some page booklet for the biblical counselor and the Enneagram at ACBC. Uh, so I think those are out there for your use. Um, yes. I'm going to put them all in the, in the uh, links to my show yeah. notes. Yep. Yeah. So I commend you, Melissa, for, uh, you know, being, I was telling my wife about you. I said, she seems to be a, a Berean. She's got some <laughs> Berean in her and that's, a, that's a high compliment. So thank yes, you for your is. ministry <laughs> and uh, keep, keep comparing everything you come across with the Bible and see yes. if, you know, that system that claims to be Christian or biblical or gospel centered. Well then let's, let's see how it stacks up 
with the, what right. the scriptures say. Yep. And so keep doing that. I, I encourage your listeners to do the same. Thank you. So Thank thanks you so for much. having me, man. It's been great. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. So ladies, I think it's very clear that we do not need the Enneagram, even if it's gospel centered. We don't need it to real, reveal to us our core longings or how we are wounded children. Scripture is very clear that we are sinners who are born children of wrath, Ephesians 2, 3, not wounded, but rebellious against a holy God who is just and will one day pour wrath out in justice, Nahum 1, 2 to 6, Isaiah 26, 21, and Romans 2, 5. On all who do not trust in the Christ, the Anointed One, Jesus. Now, I state it that way in opposition to the teachings of Richard Rohr, the de facto theologian of the Enneagram, who teaches that Christ is universal and resides in all of creation, that Jesus was a man who tapped into the universal Christ and reached divinity. This is the teaching throughout progressive Christianity and mysticism and is New Age spirituality disguised in Christian terminology. This panentheistic view of Christ permeates through the use of this tool as a way to sanctify oneself apart from the Holy Spirit and the scriptures. It brings one to focus on the self, teaching one that their problem is not that we offended God and rebel against him, but that we simply do not know who we are in him. Repenting of sin and believing in Christ's sacrifice to atone for those sins is not the call of the Enneagram gospel, but the call is instead to become self-aware through the use of the Enneagram and find our identity in Christ through a change of mind about who we are without repentance of sin. Scripture is really all you need, ladies. The Holy Spirit lives in each one of God's children who have repented and put their faith and trust in their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Scripture brings our attention to our Lord and Savior. That is who we should be focused on, not ourselves. For our hearts are deceitfully wicked, Jeremiah 17, 9. And while God has given all his children hearts of flesh, the Holy Spirit through his word judges our thoughts and intentions that reside in our heart. Hebrews 4.12 It reveals to us where we sin against God and teaches, rebukes, corrects, and trains us in righteousness so we are made more and more like our Savior, little by little, by faith in Him. The same faith given to us by God to believe in Christ Jesus is the means by which God sanctifies us. Our faith in the promises and the words of God found in Scripture conform us to be like Christ. John 17, 17. And so, because of this, I pray you are in His Word. Ladies, if you are interested in the transcript for this episode, you can go to ttew.org. You can find other great resources, articles, blogs, and videos that may bless you in your Christian walk, as well as links to follow me on social media. If you wish to contact me, you can email me at thoroughlyequipped316 
at gmail.com. Again, the website address is ttew.org. Thoroughly Equipped is part of Striving for Eternity's Christian podcast community. Striving for Eternity is a Christ-centered ministry focused on equipping people for eternity by assisting Christians to have an eternal perspective on life. They strive to bring evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and Christian living together for the purpose of eternal preparation by exalting God, edifying and equipping the saints, and evangelizing the lost. They provide speakers, online articles, online courses, books, podcasts, and other theological resources, all centered on God's Word. To find out more, go to strivingforeternity.org. And to listen to other podcasts, go to podcast.strivingforeternity.org. I pray that their resources bless you as they have blessed me as we live our lives day by day, praising and glorifying God.